Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Welcome back to another edition of Hope for Today. These are the words of Jesus as recorded by the Apostle John in his Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, isn't that the truth? There is tribulation all around us. In the world, in this country, in our state, and even tribulation in our own homes. If you aren't experiencing any tribulation or worry or sorrow or going through any trials at this time, consider yourself blessed because lots of folks are. There are some who have lost close family members or friends due to illness or accidents, or perhaps they have lost them due to drugs or alcohol. When you are out in the world and see people, you may think how fortunate they are as they seem to have everything and not to have a care in the world. But you don't know until you have walked in someone else's shoes. You just don't know what their life is really like. Have you heard the saying, there's pain in every pew? Well, I believe it's true. Everyone has something in their lives that is a worry or a sorrow or a frustration or a concern, something over which they have no control, but they wish they did. I know that is certainly true with me. I think if I could tell my children and grandchildren and my husband what they should do, And if they would listen to me, I really believe they would be better off. But I will never know, because I can't get them to do like I think they should. My husband thinks I'm crazy at times, and maybe I am. So what I try to do is to get closer to Jesus and just hope and pray that getting closer to Him will rub off on me, and then that my family will realize how change has come about in my life, and then maybe it'll rub off on them. Just maybe it will point them to the one who will never disappoint them and will always be there for them. Two of my very favorite verses point to a relationship with God. The first one is found in the Old Testament in Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The second verse is found in the Gospel of Matthew 6, 33, when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And Henry Blackaby would now ask, And what is included in all? And of course, the answer is everything. Do you believe this? Now this is where faith comes in. Righteousness is goodness. Are you seeking to be good like God every day? Are you trying to glorify Him every day, whether in good health or in affliction, or in sorrow, or tribulation? Why is it that I pray most every day that I will live a life that brings God glory and not do anything that will grieve His Spirit, and then I leave home and get in line at a fast food restaurant, and when the food doesn't come out as fast as I think it should, that I complain to the server, who really has nothing to do with cooking the food? Sad, isn't it? So please don't ever think that just because I am on the radio that everything I do and say is bringing glory to the Lord. Oh, that I wish that were the case. But just like you, 
I am not perfect. I try very hard not to gossip, and sometimes it is very difficult. But one thing I try to say if someone shares something with me that is not very flattering or nice about someone else is, well, he or she is just like we are. No one is perfect. We are all sinners saved by grace. I heard something on the radio just the other day that a young girl said when her teacher was talking about all the things God can do. The teacher said God can do everything. And the girl said, well, I know one thing God can't do. What is it? The teacher asked. And the little girl said, God can't see my sin through the blood of Jesus. And I loved hearing that because I sin every day, as does everyone. Because as we all know, only one person on this earth ever lived a perfect life, and that was Jesus Christ, and he was killed. When he was tested in many ways, he always resisted the devil, and he always knew the right words to say because he was able to quote scripture. Now there's a good reason to study the Bible and memorize some key verses. I want to read you the daily devotional of April 24th from David Jeremiah's monthly magazine, Turning Point, titled The Key to Calmness. And the verse at the top of that devotional is, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. When missionary to China, Alice Taylor felt nearly insane with fear because her children, who were in boarding school, had been taken to an internment camp during World War II. She remembered how her old pastor back home, Pa Ferguson, had explained Matthew 6.33 to her. He said, Alice, if you take care of the things that are dear to God, he will take care of the things dear to you. Having no way to help her children, Alice took Matthew 6.33 as gospel truth and trusted God to protect her youngsters as she faithfully tried to go about her work for him. And in God's perfect timing, the family was gloriously reunited. We need to allow God to take care of the things hurting us while we pray about the things that are hurting his heart. If you have cares and concerns right now, especially issues over which you have little or no control, leave them in God's hands and spend your time serving rather than stressing. If we take care of the things that are dear to God, He will take care of the things dear to us. And that concludes David Jeremiah's devotional of April 24th. Several years ago, Kay and I had the opportunity to go to Africa. Our daughter had a work assignment over there, and she begged us to come visit her and go on a safari. And so, along with our son Ray, we did. I really had never considered going to Africa and really had no desire to ever set my foot on that continent. But I'm glad I went, and I have to tell you that I will never forget the Sunday morning we were there, driving for several miles to the next national park we were to visit. Most of the people where we were in Tanzania, or Tanzania as some say, did not own a car. So on that Sunday morning, people were dressed in their Sunday best, the women and girls in their colorful long dresses and the men and boys in their white starched shirts and dark pants. Walking to church, it was a sight forever etched in my mind's eye. Our guide told us there are millions of Christians in Africa, and he himself was a Christian. When I thought about this fact, it made me realize that there would not be Christians in Africa if not for European men and women who left the comfort of their own homes and their own civilized country to go to a heathen land 
where God was calling them to go. African people were pagan people. They were heathens who worshipped some sort of God, but had different customs and sacrifices. And since the Bible had not been introduced, they had never heard of Jesus Christ. One such man who heard God's call was David Livingstone, and I want to tell you a little bit about him today. David Livingstone was born on March the 19th, 1813, in Blantyre, Scotland, and grew up with several siblings in a single tenement room. He started working at a cotton mill company as a child and would follow his long work schedule with schooling during evenings and weekends. He eventually studied medicine in Glasgow before going on to train with the London Missionary Society for a year. He completed his medical studies at various institutions in 1840 in London, England. In the official role of a medical missionary, he set forth to Africa, arriving in Cape Town, South Africa, in March of 1841. A few years later, he married Mary Moffat. The couple would have several children. Livingstone eventually made his way north and set out to trek across the Kalahari Desert. In 1849, he came upon Lake Gami, and in 1851, the Zambezi River. Over the years, Livingstone continued his explorations, reaching the western coastal region of Luanda in 1853. In 1855, he came across another famous body of water, the Zambezi Falls, called by native populations Smoke That Thunders, and which Livingstone dubbed Victoria Falls, after Queen Victoria. By 1856, Livingstone had gone across the continent from west to east, arriving at the coastal region of Quilomane in what is present-day Mozambique. Upon his return to England, Livingstone received accolades and in 1857 published missionary travels and researches in South Africa. The following year, Livingstone was appointed by British authorities to lead an expedition that would navigate the Zambezi. The expedition did not fare well, with squabbling among the crew and the original boat having to be abandoned. Other bodies of water were discovered, though Livingstone's wife Mary would perish from fever upon returning to Africa in 1862. Livingstone returned to England again in 1864, speaking out against slavery, and the following year published um, another book. And, And in that book, Livingstone also wrote about his use of quinine as a malarial remedy, and he theorized about the connection between malaria and mosquitoes. Livingstone undertook another expedition to Africa, landing at Zanzibar in early 1866 and going on to find more bodies of water with the hope of locating the source of the Nile River. He eventually ended up in the village of Yangui where he witnessed a devastating massacre where Arabic slave traders killed hundreds of people. With the explorer thought to be lost, a transatlantic venture was developed by the London Daily Telegraph and New York Herald, and a journalist, Henry Stanley, was sent to Africa to find Livingstone. Stanley located the physician in late 1871, and upon seeing him, uttered the now well-known words, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. Well, it wasn't hard to presume that that was Livingstone because he was the only white man in that village. Livingstone chose to stay, and he and Stanley parted ways in 1872. Livingstone died from dysentery and malaria on May 1, 1873, at the age of 60, 
in Chief Chitambo's village in North Rhodesia, which is now Zambia. His body was eventually transported to and buried at Westminster Abbey. And now I want to read you this short um, thing from the Blackaby Study Bible. And uh, they have several people that they write up, and this is a short write-up on David Livingstone. David Livingstone became the great missionary explorer of Africa during the 19th century. Upon completing his medical studies, he immediately set out for the dark continent of Africa. With only one night to spend with his godly parents at their home in Blantyre, Scotland, he spoke earnestly with them about the great needs in Africa. Rising at 5 a.m. on the morning of November 17, 1840, Livingstone led his parents in a final devotion before his departure. He would never see his dear father again. That morning, Livingstone read Psalm 121 and Psalm 135 concerning both God's protection and His majesty. Then he departed for a life and ministry that would inspire thousands of Christians even to this day. And I'm going to read for you Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your helper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Africa was known as the Dark Continent. But men and women like David Livingstone brought the light of Christ into that darkness, and that light continues to spread across Africa. Of course, there are some places it is not spreading nearly fast enough, and I feel that way about places in North America, too. David Livingstone brought hope to the people of South Africa. That is the same hope we have for today. Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. Do you need that hope today? Or do you have that hope and need to share it with someone today? You know, we are all missionaries, all on a mission of some sort. At one time, I was on a mission to become a very good bridge player. I gave up that mission over 30 years ago. I hope you are on a mission with eternal significance. C.S. Lewis said, What we practice, not what we preach, is usually our greatest contribution to the conversion of others. Remember a few weeks ago when I read you part of a sermon by Charles Spurgeon? Well, I'm going to read part of it again today, since it was excellent and we cannot hear it too much. And the title of the sermon was Confirming the Truth of Christ. Do you know what Bible the wicked and the worldly man reads? He does not read this Bible at all. He reads the Christian There, says he, that man goes to church, and he is a member. I will see how he lives. I will read him up and down. And he watches him and reads his conduct. If he is bad, he says, religion is a farce. But if he is a man who lives up to it, he says, there is something in religion after all. It is the duty of every child of God to so live that he may confirm the witness of Christ. We should labor to do it in all the common things of daily life. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all 
to the glory of God. Some men think that religion lies in great things. It does not. It lies in little things. Take any one day of our lives. We eat, drink, rise in the morning, go to bed at night. Nothing very particular about that day. Our life is made up of little things, and if we are not careful of little things, we shall not be careful of great ones. If we do not take care of little things, the great ones will go wrong. Oh, may you have grace to so live that the world may find no fault in you. And if in little things they see an exactness and almost precision, then they will say, There is something in religion. That man's life has confirmed it in my mind because he lives up to it. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, say within yourself, I must so live and die that I may confirm the witness of Christ. I must so walk amongst my friends and neighbors that they will see there is a truth and a power in religion. And let me warn you not to undertake this in your own strength. You will want fresh power from on high from the Holy Spirit. Get a fresh, fresh supply of grace at the throne. I did not know my high standing before, but I know now that I am a confirmer of the truth. Lord, help me to so live that there may never be any flaw in my conduct, never any vile word proceeding out of my lips. Make me so live that I may confirm the truth. Lord, help me to confirm the witness of Christ. Are we confirming the truth of Christ each day? Are we bringing glory to God? We have a story to tell. It is the greatest story ever told, and love will get the story told. We are missionaries. We who are Christians need to be ever mindful of our mission so that we can share our hope for today with everyone we meet, but especially those nearest and dearest to us. And I, you know, I was going to read you three quotes from David Livingstone, and I'm going to go back and read those three quotes. And here they are. Number one, and this is what David Livingstone has said, I am prepared to go anywhere, provided it be forward. Second quote, if you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. And the third quote of David Livingstone I will place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. In closing, I would like to read you the words of a popular missionary hymn written by Ernest Nichol. Matter of fact, I'll read you a little bit about... Well, let me see. I think I'm going to read it to you. Hold on a minute. Let's see. Oh, yeah, here it is. Okay, I'm going to read you a little bit about um, Ernest Nichol. Oh, we have a story to tell. The Nations has been one of the most popular missionary hymns. Uh, it was written by Henry Ernest Nichol, who was born in 1862 in Hull, a port city north of London. He had planned to be a civil engineer, but Nichol's love of music led him to change careers when he was 23 and earn his degree at Oxford in music. He excelled in music, art, poetry, and writing. He taught music, wrote musical textbooks, composed popular poetry, wrote on diverse themes, and established a wide-ranging reputation in his day for literary dexterity and excellence. Nichol found personal fulfillment writing Sunday school songs, and for a time he served as the music editor for the London Sunday School Times. 
He wrote about 130 hymn tunes and on occasion supplied the words. Whenever he wrote both the words and the music, he would list the lyricist as Colin Stern, which was an anagram or a rearranging of the letters of his name. He listed his real name for the composer of the music. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nichol passed away in, in 1926, <clears throat> and most of his secular and sacred works have been forgotten, but this one hymn lingers in missionary circles. It's a rousing anthem with an enthusiastic refrain that practically shoves us out the door and across the seas. And here are the words of We've a Story to Tell to the Nations. We've a story to tell to the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right, a story of truth and mercy, a story of peace and light, a story of peace and light. We've a song to be sung to the nations that shall lift their hearts to the Lord, a song that shall conquer evil and shatter the spear and sword, and shatter the spear and sword. We've a message to give to the nations that the Lord who reigneth above hath sent us his Son to save us and show us that God is love, and show us that God is love. We've a Savior to show to the nations who the path of sorrow hath trod, that all of the world's great peoples might come to the truth of God, might come to the truth of God. For the darkness shall turn to dawning, and the dawning to noonday bright, and Christ's great kingdom shall come to earth, the kingdom of love and light. Last verse, we've a Savior.
have been listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carroll Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal.